your host, your buddy, your pal, Billy Dean Shoemate III here, and welcome back to another episode of Strange Places. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor and DistroKid. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate your listenership. I really do. Man, you guys are just slaying the listenership of my other podcasts. A lot of people really seem to be enjoying this thing, and I'm happy to give it to you. This is stuff that fascinates me, and... Uh, I don't know if it's kind of a unique spin that we put on it, you know, like we, uh, as I say, we um, used common sense study for these things. And at the end, we give kind of a verdict. I don't know if that's it. Um, I know it's certainly not my voice. <laughs> I don't think I'm that entertaining to listen to, but for some reason, you guys keep coming back and I really appreciate it. Today, we're going to be traveling around quite a bit. We're going to be going to a lot of strange places. And these are strange places that may not even exist. See, just to give you kind of a gist here, there are scientists out there that believe, to the very core of them, that they found an error-correcting code at the quantum level. Yes, the universe itself, they believe, that uh, has an error-correcting code much like a computer or a video game or a simulation. In 1994, a mathematician, and, and uh, this leads into some pretty interesting stuff. You'll understand why I'm talking about this, but we need a little bit of a lead up, okay? <laughs> In 1994, a mathematician at AT&T Research, Peter Shore, he brought instant fame to quantum computers when he discovered that these hypothetical devices could quickly factor large numbers thus break much of modern cryptography, but a fundamental problem stood in the way of actually building a quantum computer, the innate frailty of their physical components. Unlike binary bits of information in ordinary computers, qubits, if you haven't heard of them, consist of quantum particles that have some probability of being in each of two states, binary, one and zero, at the same time. When qubits interact, their possible states become interdependent. Each one's chances of zero and one are hinging on those of the other. Think of quantum entanglement and you got it. Contingent possibilities proliferate. The qubits become more and more entangled with each operation, sustaining and manipulating the exponentially, uh, exponentially growing number of simultaneous possibilities. What makes quantum computers so theoretically powerful? Qubits are maddeningly, uh, I would say insanely error-prone. The feeblest magnetic field or stray microwave pulse causes them to undergo bit flips that switch their chances of being a zero and a one relative to other quibits or phase flips that invert the mathematical relationship between their two states. I know I'm getting super techy on you, but this will make sense. For quantum computers to work, scientists must find schemes for protecting information even when individual quibits get corrupted. What's more, these schemes must detect and correct errors without directly measuring the quibits since measurements collapse quibits coexisting possibilities into definite realities plain old zeros and ones that can't sustain quantum computations. So, in 1995, Shore came up with um, another stunner, proof that quantum error-correcting codes exist. The computer scientists of the time proved a year later that these codes could theoretically push error rates close to zero. This was the central discovery in the 90s that convinced people that a scalable quantum computing should be possible at all. Not only that, that the universe seemed to be kind of reflecting this state. That 
everywhere they looked. They kept seeing things that kind of looked like quibit correction. I'm talking at the quantum level. Now, this is freaky. What happened was... See, let's, uh, let's go forward just a little bit. Uh, well, <laughs> tell you what. Stephen Hawking's 1974 epiphany, the black holes radiate heat, eventually evaporate away, triggered the infamous black hole information paradox, which asks what happens to all the information that black holes swallow, right? Physicists need quantum theory or gravity to understand how things that fall into black holes also get out. The issue may relate to cosmology, birth of the universe itself. Since expansion out of a Big Bang singularity is much like gravitational collapse into a black hole in reverse. Am I blowing your mind yet? Are you getting uh, <laughs> teary-eyed listening to me? Okay, now I'll tell you what I'm really trying to say here. <clears throat> now, information has been suggested by physicists that <laughs> uh, this will, this freaked me out when I heard it. Information might be prevented from ever falling into a black hole in the first place because the black hole is a firewall. Like most scientists and physicists, people don't really believe firewalls exist. It's kind of a fringe theory. But finding a way around them has proven more difficult than proving it. Quantum error correction is what stops firewalls from forming by protecting information as it crosses the black hole horizons. It seems that the more physicists look into this, the more that they seem to kind of prove that there is some kind of error-correcting code built into the universe. Whether this is true or not, it's a very interesting thought. Now, I wanted to give you that kind of lead-up because it's a theory that comes up a lot with what we're going to talk about today. People from places that do not exist. And we're not just talking about the Mandela effect here. Because when we're talking about the Mandela effect, this theory comes up a lot. That the universe, in order to correct these tiny errors, will have to change little things. And 99.9% .9 of them we don't even notice, right? The cornucopia on the Fruit of the Loom logo, <laughs> things like that. Berenstein bearing, being spelled the wrong way. Yeah, I said it. Tank Man not getting his head crushed like a melon. Or Nelson Mandela dying when he wasn't supposed to. Some of these things we do notice. Are there places out there? Entire continents. Entire worlds. Entire regions that have been scrubbed off the map because of this. Some people think so. And I'll give you three of them. And we'll uh, see if you could draw your own conclusion. Is it the universe error correcting itself? Is that the only plausible explanation? Does this prove the multiverse? We're going to have to travel to Germany. <laughs> well, travel back to 1851 and into Germany. We're going to meet a guy named Jofar Vorin. Joseph Vorin, depending on who you ask. He was found wandering in the German village of Frankfurt. Along with uh, speaking broken German, the traveler spoke and wrote in unknown languages he called Laxarian and Aramaic. What is that? Abramian. I even had trouble reading that. <laughs> Laxarian and Abramian. He represented that he was from a place called Laxaria, in an area of the globe called Sakaria, separated from Europe by a vast ocean. This baffled the authorities because neither of the places existed anywhere on their map of the world. 
nor did they exist on any map, ever. He says that this region is very well known. He couldn't believe that they had no idea where this place was. He says that his religion is Christian in form and doctrine, and that it's actually called Espadian. Lexaria he represents to be many hundred miles from Europe, separated by vast oceans from it. There's news clipper, uh, news clipper, <laughs> sorry. There's newspaper clippings around the time about this cat. This guy really existed. His purpose in coming to Europe, he says, was to seek a long lost brother. But he suffered a shipwreck on the voyage where he does not know, nor can he trace his route onshore at any map or globe because he did not recognize where the oceans were. So even the oceans were completely different. He claims. For his unknown race, a considerable share of geographical knowledge, the five great compartments or continents of the Earth he calls Sacria, Aflar, Astar, Asular, and Eplular, instead of the regions of the Earth that we call them. Scholars from Frankfurt concluded that the man was not insane. He passed all the tests that they threw at him with flying colors. His story was considered plausible, yeah, by the authorities. So they sent him to Berlin to be subjected to further studies and research. But during the trip, in the grip of a short hysterical fit, he threw himself out of the carriage and disappeared into the woods. Never been seen since. Despite long and very expensive searches of the guy, no trace was ever found. He seemed to have disappeared as mysteriously as he arrived. Inspector Leboeuf, charged with accompanying him to Berlin, put forward the hypothesis that the man could be a being from another world and that he'd returned from where he came. This seems to be a theme like this. These people seem to disappear just as strangely as they appeared. Whoever this was, Voren's tale is sometimes used as evidence for teleportation, parallel universes, and the like. Weird story. These are three of many, by the way. I, these are the ones that I just see, you know, being the most head-scratchy. The other one is a mystery that every YouTuber in the multiverse has probably talked about. The man from Torrid. If I can find what I had pulled up on him, I probably don't even need that, right? Everybody knows. Yeah, my my bookmarks are not working. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> okay, my bookmarks are not working, but we don't really need them, do we? The Man from Torrid is a story everybody knows about. Guy shows up to an airport and what is it with Japan? Okay, now this is bugging me. Whoops, just dropped my phone. Just fell off my disc. Am I going to mix that out? No. Okay, so a guy, a guy who arrived in Japan. Fake passport. People are saying that the Man from Torrid story has been completely debunked. But every time I look at anything having to do with the... You know, the, the quote-unquote debunking. It seems, to, it seems to stem from one article that was published in, uh, what was this, May of 2017, 2018? And it looks like everybody just copies and pastes this thing. Uh, I don't consider it very plausible. It does a lot of stretching, more than what you would even consider for something like this. Everywhere you go, you're going to see Man from Torrid, Mystery Solved, Mystery Solved. And it seems to be all that copied and pasted stuff. I'm not buying it. It does too much stretching, man. It just seems implausible to me, their explanation. What I'm going to offer is just what happened. 
man showed up in Japan saying that he was from a country called Torrid. This is well documented. We have photographs of this guy. And he's adamant that he came from this country called Torrid. He is asked to point it out on a map. The Japanese are saying, okay, what's going on here? He presented them with his passport, showed visa stamps corroborating previous business travels to Japan and other countries. He had been there. They stamped that passport. When he called the company, he said he was having a meeting with, they never heard of the guy. Or his company never before that moment. We all know this story. The hotel he reserved a room at had no reservation for such a person. Bank listed on his checkbook did not exist. Customs officials showed him a world map, pointed out the tiny country of Andorra is where Torred was supposed to be. This made him extremely distressed. And he said Andorra didn't exist, but it was right where Torred should be. His country had existed for a thousand years, he said. The man was detained by customs, given a room at a nearby hotel for the night while officials tried to figure out what the hell was going on. Following morning... Man from Torred completely vanished from his hotel room, <clears throat> excuse me, which had been guarded by immigration officials all night. That that was also documented. <laughs> Make matters worse, all of his personal documents, including his passport, driver's license issued by the mystery country, vanished from the airport security room. And that's funny. Whenever you see, ever you see these um, man from Torred debunked articles, nobody ever explains that that this guy was just. Uh, a known forger, and this was just one of his aliases and stuff like that. How do you explain all of his stuff disappearing from a heavily guarded room? Not only that, but the authorities never found this guy. He vanished from a guarded room. They weren't just guarding the room. They were guarding the whole damn hotel. They thought they had something really just strange here, really interesting. The man was described as a neatly dressed middle-aged Caucasian. Primarily language was French, yet he spoke Japanese, several other languages. His wallet had a ton of currencies in it, various European countries, as if to verify his frequent flyer tendencies. The modern version of this story is embellished, but that's the meat of it. That's what stuck. People either see him as an interdimensional interloper, fake passport, passport was misspelled, had an error on the passport. Something that they left out, actually. After he pointed to Torrid on the globe and showed them the passport, detectives went to the countries he went to that he would need to take a plane to. They asked all the airports in the area if they had seen that guy. They all said no. And I think that's the big smoking gun here. As to the men from Torah debunked stuff, which is always copied and pasted, right? <laughs> Some people seem to think that in his universe, Andorra is Torrid, but maybe both universes got mixed up, even though he was from Torrid. Maybe Torrid's in Andorra, but we don't know it. Who knows? Some people have investigated that. No town called Torrid, nothing. And he flat out said Torrid was a country. It's, uh, it's a really weird story. Is this a place that was wiped away, that was scrubbed from history, error-corrected? Now, it could be a lot of things, right? It could be a lot of phenomena that's causing this. But what people go back to the most is the error correction thing. That we as human beings are living in some kind of a simulation. And <clears throat> occasionally the universe has to error correct itself, right? <laughs> Everything is running on its own. Neil deGrasse Tyson has changed his stance on us being in a simulation. 
Because he says either we are in the first simulation or we in the last one. It's it's really it's very difficult to prove. Uh, I like how he explains it. Let's see, Neil deGrasse Tyson. See if I can pull it up here. Uh, okay. I'm trying to find it here. All right. Now he says, he used to believe in this, but he said it's a one in a billion chance that we're living, that we're even living in a base reality. Uh, what we would simply call the real world. The argument is roughly centered on the incredible processes video game technology has made in just a few decades, which has been pretty, it's just unreal, insane. You could simulate every possible thing that could occur, including neurosynaptic firings in the characters that you create. In that sense, what is to stop you from thinking that the characters you created are themselves real? Neil deGrasse Tyson has, as I said, adjusted his uh, theory on it. Now, I'm trying to find out... Mm. Wow. It it's this is weird. <laughs> I'm only finding older articles about this. All from 2016. That's freaky. I mean, he has very publicly changed his stance on this. Huh. Jen, why am I only finding the original <laughs> this is his original reaction on the quote unquote matrix theory? I don't see his uh, re- uh his recent kind of rebuttal. Because only he could explain it better than I can. I mean, if you read what he says, you get it. But if I try to, it's like a game of telephone. If I told you about it, then it's going to sound weird. (laughs) But he doesn't believe that anymore. He just says it's improbable. He's done the math. Improbable. Is there other stuff at work here? I don't know. Let's travel to Dovelin, Wisconsin, another strange place. We actually have a supposed photo recovered from this place called Dovelin, Wisconsin. A people, a couple people, a very badly damaged photo. Looks like it's either heat damaged or light damaged. Just a, well, looks like a family sitting in a restaurant. Very, uh, you know, non-weird, non-creepy photograph. <laughs> Just people sitting in a restaurant. They look happy. One of them looks like a person who's working at the restaurant. Could be a waiter who's wearing an apron. Maybe his family went there to eat and he sat with them real quick for a photo opportunity. Very nice, pleasant-looking family. Only problem is that Dovelin, Wisconsin does not exist. Many people swear that it does. See, Dovelin, Wisconsin, Doveland, some people say. I say Dovelin. It could be Doveland. Was supposedly a small town, which somehow disappeared. And this was recent. This isn't like Roanoke here. We're talking 1990s. Some people in Wisconsin allegedly have shirts, mugs, souvenirs from the town, and some even remember it or had relatives who lived there. People have memories of this place. Outside of memories and stories from relatives, there's also mugs, shirts bearing Devlin's name. There was also a digital ghost trace of Devlin in the form of Google search autocorrect. Seriously. And recommended search options suggesting the term Devlin. Dovelin, Wisconsin, to many users without it bringing up any results. The phenomena is similar to Langville, Montana. Unlike that vanished town, no ARG or online publicity campaign can be linked to the place, which first started appearing in online mentions in 2015. There's a lot of theories about Dovelin, Wisconsin. 
Could be a hoax, tall tale, internet legend. The lacking evidence and information on this town could be explained as a cover-up, but more possibly, it could be a mass delusion or urban legend. Mass delusion I have a big problem with. That seems to be something that people just always go to, isn't it? <laughs> it's a catch-all term. It just it seems a little too neat to me. People say it could be a town, unincorporated settlement that was destroyed by damming, damming similar to Warner. Towns that vanished this way were historically very, very well documented. And we're talking about the 1990s. It's been suggested that the shirts and mugs associated with Dufflin might be examples of bot-generated advertisements based on search history. Well, that's, that's an interesting one. But there are people that swear that they come forward with these shirts and mugs and stuff, and they say these things are legit. What gets me is nobody's ever had the balls to test these things to see if they're from the 90s. It almost seems like it's on purpose, doesn't it? I'm not going to get all Alex Jones on you. Just telling you what I see. Some people say it could be a town which simply dispersed due to the failing economy on isolated rural townships at this time. These explanations bother me because nobody who remembers Dovlin has brought forth any of these things. There was a military ex uh, science experiment possibly there that gone wrong. A town that vanished out of existence. A hyperstition. What a hyperstition is, it's an idea which functions retrocosically to bring about their own reality. In short, although it did not exist at first, the idea of Dovlin, told in modern stories, may retroactively grant it foothold in reality itself. I know it's weird. <laughs> but... In 1940, there was a book written by uh, Jorge Luis Borges. I know I'm saying that wrong. The World of Tion. <clears throat> it begins in the story as fictional, with the protagonist active, actively seeking out footnotes and rare documents with fleeting references to the supposedly fabulous place. As the story progresses, Tion takes on an increasingly material reality, established history and relics. The story parallels how Doveland... Emerged from mysterious Google search suggestions, then grew through the research to the point it took on a sort of reality in the memory of real Wisconsinites. But there are theories that go farther than that. That maybe there was some kind of glitch, right? X-Files type stuff. That actually physically manifested Dovland in the past. There are some very notable accounts. And I'll give you names. <laughs> these people really remember this. There's a Jamie Ivanov. He says, and I quote, these are things that were posted on the internet. These are all, uh, these are the verified ones of people who do live in the area. He says, and I quote, I just learned all the noise surrounding Dublin, and I think I could add, add some insight. Dublin was a small town of Wisconsin that housed a lot of military families. This place did exist. My father lived there for a year or two and spoke of it occasionally. The main thing I remember is that it had to do with something called Project Sanguine in the early 1960s. The town was destroyed after an incident. I thought they were digging up a ton of land or something. They flooded the town, but it has a rehashed secondhand memory from years ago. Could be something about a military experiment. Nate Allen, uh, who's also from the area... The locations for Devlin don't coincide with Project Sanguine due to the bedrock. There are two ELF sites no longer in operation, with one being outside of Clam Lake, Wisconsin, another in the, in the UP. These are extremely low-frequency transmitters, 
They'd use bedrock to bounce signals under the crust signal, you know, to signal nuclear submarines to surface to receive messages. The antennas were above ground, looked like power lines running through the middle of the forest. If the antennas were buried, then they would short out to earth ground and be completely useless. What I'm talking about this for is that there's nothing science fiction about Sanguine, nothing that could cause an accident where a town could completely disappear. But he says, and I quote, that town existed. So take what I say as it is. This town existed. Another person from the area, and I quote, as someone who has lived in various places for Wisconsin for over 30 years and has been in the army, every person that I've ever met remembers Dovlin. Another person says, Dovlin was real. My father used to mention it occasionally before he passed, before even the internet, and the only reason I remember it is because I found it ironic that a town named Dovlin was populated by almost exclusively military personnel and their families. I'll dig around for a shirt, then back home next early in September. If I remember correctly, the town was built as part of what's called Project Sanguine in the mid to late 60s. Maybe everyone left when the project was canceled, but I thought something went very, very wrong. What I believe is that the citizens, if they weren't somehow amnestitized, like this is a fucking real life SCP or something. (laughs) I added that part. The ones that couldn't be silenced were somehow the memories were altered. That's what this guy's saying. How many people in these families from Wisconsin say they remember this place? You can buy fake t-shirts and fake mugs and stuff. I was actually so interested in this story that I bought a uh, (laughs) a Dufflin t-shirt. I did. I actually bought one. I'm going to wear it around town and freak people out. But this place is very well remembered. People swear that they've been there. There are people who swear that they're from there. And unlike a lot of these other things, Man from Torrid, all these other stories, that mysterious island, uh, what was it, in the Bahamas, that completely disappeared, that was on these old ancient maps, remember? Roanoke, right? Places like that. Roanoke is still there, obviously, but not the inhabitants. We have a photograph from Dublin, Wisconsin. And tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and... uh, as we're talking here, because, I, you know, as I said, whenever we have a photograph or anything like that, I'm going to make it the thumbnail for Strange Places. So let's do, I'm going to try to find a more higher resolution version of this photo. It's a weird picture. It's supposedly from Dovland. Are there any other supposed, supposed Dovland pictures? No. Uh, find image source. Uh, paranormal thread, image taken in town that allegedly vanished. Devlin, Wisconsin. Wow, there's articles about this thing from all over the world, boy. Wow. I'm seeing articles from South Korea about this place. That's amazing. Is this just an internet thing? This photo looks really weird. I'm not saying it proves anything. I'm just saying. If someone comes forward and says, oh, I have a photo that was taken in Dublin. And apparently how the story goes is this photo was taken right when either Project Sanguine reached its end. Whatever Project Sanguine is, I can't really find anything verifiable on it. Find a lot of stories, a lot of hearsay, but nothing solid. So I won't even talk about it. But people are saying this photograph was taken when either Project Sanguine went uh, belly up. And something happened to the town, or the realities were merging. 
that this happened, this photo was taken during that process. And the photo's weird. I don't know if it's a psychosomatic thing, right? I'm looking at a photo of supposedly a town that was part of the multiverse that got scrubbed away, error corrected. A part of the Mandela effect that got swallowed up by the ether. The universe didn't need or it merged or it flew off somewhere else, broke apart, broke off, right? And it looks like a, just a heat or light damaged photo. Maybe it's a piece of film. It's definitely from the 90s for sure. And they even examined the photo. This thing is from that decade. It's a 90s photograph. Uh, Kodak actually believes, uh, Kodak examined it. They believe it's from 1994 to 1996 is when the photo was taken. Not tampered with, not messed with. What Kodak says is that this was possibly at the end of the reel. And you know how photographs back in the day, if it was the last one, <laughs> you know, on the film, it tended to look kind of weird. Heat damaged, whatever. But it's a weird picture. And like I said, I don't know if it's psychosomatic or what. Just knowing the story behind it, does that make it eerie? I guess. But it's completely unverifiable. There's nothing in this photo that nothing says Doveland on it. There's nothing on there that says, Welcome to Doveland or Doveland Cafe or Doveland Restaurant. Nobody's wearing a Doveland t-shirt. No Doveland coffee mugs on the table. That's a weird photo. And it may just completely be psychosomatic. But I'll make it the thumbnail for this episode just so you can get a, a gander at it. It might be a little pixelated, a little fuzzy. I am having a heck of a time trying to find a, uh, <laughs> a high-resolution version of it. Uh, looks like the South Korea one has a decent size of it, but I cannot get into this thing. And Google Translate is not working. It's a weird one. So why do we get into the whole matrix theory? Does that control the Mandela effect? Is there, an, is there a link here with what physicists are swearing that they're seeing? That there is some kind of error correction built in to the bones of the universe itself. Here's how I see it. And I'm just using common everyday logic here. Obviously, these three stories, we can't prove them. Even the Dublin one. These kids <laughs> are completely impossible to prove. Are they debunked? No. I haven't seen anything out there that just yells debunked at me. There is nothing, I'm sorry, but there's nothing definitive that prove these three in particular. I, I could talk about others. We could talk about this whole phenomenon just wrapped up in a big, nice bow. This whole thing as a whole, right? But I, I want to talk about these three in particular. Let's focus on Dovelandy and, you know, and Man from Torrid, stuff like that. These places that supposedly exist and just disappeared. Actually, all these stories are pretty similar, aren't they? <laughs> they are. Lack of evidence either way. Shit, I mean, maybe we can lump all this into one nice package. Places that don't exist, that people swore did or came from there or whatever. Yeah, all right, fine. Yeah, I, I think we can do that, actually. Now that I'm looking at how similar all these cases are, none of them have any shred of proof that go one way or the other. On one end, we have maps going all the way back to the 14 fucking hundreds that have these islands on them. There's no evidence that they even sunk, that they were there at all. 
We have documented cases of people showing up out of nowhere, saying they're from a place that doesn't exist. They're adamant about it. The authorities believe them, and they vanish. We have a place where an entire community of people swear that there was this town in Wisconsin, and they go and look for these T-shirts and coffee mugs. Some people find them. And some people don't. <laughs> some people are like, okay, where the hell is my Doveland stuff? This is weird. And you think to yourself, why haven't we found anybody that says, oh, I was born there? There are some people that I've seen interviews with, and it's really weird. It's almost like they're on the verge of remembering. But it's like something else is there instead. Like, uh, I, were you born in Doveland? I, and they get this weird look on their face, and they just, I don't, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not sure. How do you, how are you not sure where you were born? It's almost like they're trying to recall something that's been taken away. But on the other hand, okay, on the other hand, we'll be logical here. I don't see anything that defin- d- uh, definitively proves any of this either. I don't. But we can't debunk them either. So, <laughs> needless to say, these definitely, hands down, require further study. This phenomenon as a whole. Hell, let's even lump Roanoke into this. Let's go ahead. There's not a place that doesn't exist. It's there. You can go to Roanoke <laughs> today. The entire populace is gone. Things like this, okay? We could have explanations all day long till we're red in the face. You're not going to prove it. You're not going to disprove it either. I think these are one of the very rare, strange places that I don't think we're ever going to have any evidence of. We're never going to prove these. I will paint my butt red like a baboon and go run downtown and tell everybody I was wrong holding my trusty megaphone. I would love to, but I don't think we're ever going to find out for sure. Here's my thought on it, okay? I hate the idea that science and God are separate things. That's ridiculous. I think that science and God can coexist. God had to put something to run in the background. If you want to call it the matrix, if you want to call it the universal code, if you want to call it whatever, if you want to call it a simulation, by and large, that's kind of what it is. God needed this universe to sustain itself, to run in the background. What does that require? Math, gravity, balance, checks and balances. Is there some kind of error correction going on here? Maybe. Makes sense, doesn't it? Is the universal code, is the secrets that science is searching for? I don't think they're out to disprove God. I think science is just the search for the coding that God put into all this. Planets need to align. The shape shape of space had to be a certain, you know what I mean? (laughs) Gravity waves had to be a certain shape. Things need to sustain on their own. Right? I mean, I'm sure a part of him could sit there with his finger twirling and being like, okay, let's keep this thing going. But that's not efficient. Doesn't sound like God's style to me. I could be wrong. But if it were me, I would make a self-sustaining system. What does that require? Math. Science is not the the discovery of the disproving of God. All science is is the discovery of the code that God had to put into place to make all this work. By and large, are we living in the matrix? In a sense, yeah. I think so. 
We think about all these parallel universes, parallel the, the omniverse, all this stuff. If we zoom out, the planets that we live on, are these just atoms and electrons on something bigger? Think about that. If we zoom in far enough, these atoms, these quarks, these strings, are these planets? Do you know what's in between the atoms and your atmosphere right now? You bang on your table. Right here. Bang on your table. In this table is not solid, by the way. <laughs> it's just atoms. What's in between those atoms and molecules? Nothing. Empty space. Nothing. We perceive it as solid, because that's how it works, kids. Right? The math that was put into the background to make the system sustain. But did you know that the empty space in this world, on this atmosphere, that makes up you, your wall, your collection of glass dildos, is as abundant, as abundant as what is outside our atmosphere? Does that not completely turn your brain into shit? The empty space that makes up our solid objects just here on Earth that we've created is possibly, more than likely, more abundant, that's what all the math is saying, more abundant than what is up there? Weird, huh? Are these atom and atoms and molecules tiny planets on their own? If we look at our planet, right, zoom out far enough, are we an atom of another structure? Are we molecules? I don't know. Am I getting too new agey and weird here? Not sure. <laughs> but there's something up with these places. And it's they're fun to talk about. Doveland in particular. That one's a lot of fun to talk about. But that's what we do on this show, right? Man, I don't think I've ever seen anything as inconclusive <laughs> as this phenomenon here. Do you have any kind of special insight on any of these places that we talked about? Did I miss some crucial piece of evidence that could have blown this whole thing apart? Let me know. Contact me, and uh, you'll see how to do it on your various uh, you know platform of choice. So uh, really, that's all I got for this one, guys. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for joining me on this little journey here. This was a fascinating one. I love talking about these places. Devlin in particular. And I know everybody's bored to death about the man from Torrid thing, but man, really sit back and listen to that one. It's bizarre. I'm telling you, we can neither prove nor disprove this thing. It's a legitimately creepy thing. And I want to thank you for uh, joining on this journey here with me. I had fun talking about this one. I enjoyed this one. <laughs> I really did. So thanks for listening. And remember to go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there, as well as the link to get to our Patreon account, where you can get everything from bonus episodes, early access to stuff, giveaways at certain tiers, starting at just a dollar a month. Go check it out. Shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson. I appreciate you guys. This show would not be around if it wasn't for you, seriously. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, friends. And we'll see you on the next episode, okay? I had fun on this one. Are we ever going to run out of strange places? Either non-existent or real? <laughs> I don't think so. Because every town, well, every corner of this multiverse, of this matrix, has a strange place. And maybe one day, we'll visit yours. The Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. 
DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support Strange Places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men in their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.